Okay, so Tony, I was supposed to, I like the background of your room there, yeah. sir. Yeah. That's, you like it. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Hold on, I'll show you around. Wait, 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 wait. It's the Wendy house down there. there. Oh, oh, yeah. Tony. How many hours of your day do you spend playing with that thing? Look. And there's, a, there's, a, there's a play kitchen down there. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. This is not how we thought this was going to go, buddy. <laughs> it's my world. It is what it is. It is what it is. Um, let's just get this thing. So we, uh, well, I wanted to catch up with you. 2019, a bit of an upside uh, down up year for you, my friend. Yeah, yeah, a, bit, a bit, little bit. A little we, bit. We were gonna have, we were gonna do a podcast, weren't we? After uh, the world's win. That's right. Um, we never got, we never got around to that. Uh, and then, yeah, I thought, well, I would maybe do one after the Equip Wars. One I've won that. <laughs> <laughs> You go, you go, hold off. I'm about to have a big win. <laughs> I'm about to have a big win. Um, for anyone listening, so Tony's won. Um, so what, you've won a quick world previously. No, no, no. No? No. Uh, my best place in the early quick worlds was fourth in 2015. Okay. Um, so I've won, I've won European equipped. I won that in 2018. Okay, okay. Yeah. And did you do Commonwealth equipped as well? No. No? No. Okay. No. Um, so you've obviously you won in Sweden and uh, I was calling that and I was saying how it was a masterful performance and uh, I remember talking in Sweden that you wanted to add the equipped uh, world championships to you, to your docket there so let's, yeah. we'll back it up we'll back it up a little bit um, going into Sweden how is training going you were you're facing off against Eric Willis who had won the previous year in Canada um, yeah. And he became Canada's golden boy, and he was—he's the first Canadian male to win an Open World Championship, and he did it on Canadian soil, so it was big. And uh, did you happen to see that World Championships live? Do you watch? Uh, no, I watched. I watched the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I was rooting for Eric as well. You know, so I was—I was watching. Um, you know, obviously with Dennis not being there, and I decided not to go. Um, yeah, I mean, Eric was a firm favourite of mine to win it as well. And Eric's such a nice guy. <laughs> it's great to see him win it. Dude is extremely friendly. When we had yeah. him on the podcast, he literally had a beer in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, what are, what are your hobbies, Eric? He's like, I like lifting weights, drinking beer. And I'm like, well, I fucking believe you. We're, you're, you're drinking beer talking about lifting weights as we speak. You know what I mean? Like, but uh, yeah, he's a good guy. So yeah, so no, I watched I watched all of that. Um, yeah, there, I mean the reason I chose not to go is I wanted to go on a family holiday, and I had to fund the trip to Canada myself. I was when uh, yeah. I've done like the last ten years of these. Let's just go on holiday. <laughs> How, you, so yeah, you have been in it for a long time, like ten years ago. I've been in I've been powerlifting for ten years as well, and we yeah. did um, a decade in review episode where we did like, like look back the last ten years, and uh, man. Talk about change. Like, when you first got in the game, you, so you're watching the live stream. When you first got in the game, this predates live streams, no? Like, I don't know. Way, way before live streams. I did, my, I did a couple of my first competitions were in a prison. You it was, a, it was in Ramby Prison. Oh, yeah. Wow. Our, our, were, our divisionals were, were, were in a prison. Were you a guest or an inmate? Because <laughs> this. <laughs> You're like, I'm, we were all guests. We were okay, all guests. okay. <laughs> Holy smokes, dude. But, but two two of the inmates were allowed to lift 
in that competition. Oh, oh man. Shit. Were <laughs> they like hardcore inmates? Like what? No, no. The, the prison, the prison that it was in, the well, one of the prisons it was in was quite a low-level security one. Um, but they they did do another one, a much higher security prison. And I was about seven or eight years old. I went in with my dad. He was competing, yeah. and I went in as his coach. And uh, <laughs> we were walking walking through the courtyard of this prison and being screamed at by the prisoners. Holy the bars of the prison. That was our introduction. I said, we're going to a powerlifting competition right now. <laughs> Oh man, dude, you were seven or eight. That was your introduction to powerlifting. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's all good fun. So it's very different <laughs> if you think about what we were doing back then to now. Yeah, yeah, that that's like um, that one scene in Pumping Iron with Arnold Schwarzenegger when he goes back to when he goes doesn't go back to he goes to prison and does like a pose down. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, it's brilliant. That's a whole lot different though when you're doing powerlifting than when you're doing bodybuilding. It's when you go into a prison, take your shirt off, and start showing off your body to these dudes, and it's like this is fucking weird. Like that, you know what I mean? At least when you're lifting weights, it's. But um, I've seen videos of like like competitions in prison, like what do they have? They go into like I think it was an American prison, and these they get riled up. Yeah, I know we had a big. They had a big crowd because the like the prisoners that were on, you know, been good that week. I guess were allowed to go in and watch. Yeah. So obviously they just said anything else. So yeah, they were way behind it, and then no. obviously a lot of them were lifters as well. And they, yeah, it was it was a great crowd. It was weirdly, it was like, yeah. a good competition. The big thing for me, if I was a judge, if I'm being honest. Fuck, man, I don't want to call some of these guys death calls on squats. I'm like, you know what I mean? I'm like, he looks at you and like, it's good, man. It's fucking good. Leave me be. It's, yeah, we're good. Everything's all good. I bet then, yeah, then it was all equipped, so it was even more contentious as well. Oh, so, yeah. wow. It was equipped as well, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, everything was. Yeah, everything yeah, was. yeah. No kick. So, okay, so your, let's take this back even more then. So your dad was a power lifter, and you came up in a powerlifting family. Well, well, yeah. I mean, it was only my dad that did it. Um, he he started in his like mid thirties, um, so he was doing like masters lifting when I was sort of that sort of age, six, seven, eight, and yeah, you know, go to the divisionals with local divisionals. There was a powerlifting club that he used to train at called the Hobby Centre. I think it's I think it still exists. It's gone for. Uh, yeah, so sort of three or four days a week, and I'd sit in the corner and watch all these guys training, and that was sort of my introduction to lifting weights and things as well. And that's kind of a normal thing for a child to go and do, right? Going and watch their dad in the gym. <laughs> it was for us. You might be the first guest that I've had on, and I, man, we've interviewed, we've had like I don't know how many episodes now, but we've been doing this for a couple of years now. You might be the first one who was introduced as like a kid. Like, yeah. I just, most people. I mean, powerlifting, it's not super new, but, you know, to, to like, what was the year, basically, that that was happening, when you were 7, 8, and watching this? Uh, early 90s, so 92, 93. Yeah. That sort of, that sort of period. So, when, when, you know, as I was going through um, senior school, and I started training with my dad, obviously, like, uh, to help with other sports because I was quite good at judo. Um, so my dad was like, no, you need to get strong if you want to be good at judo. So I was ended training with my dad. But it went around around that period. Um, yeah, that was 
that was kind of normal for me going to a powerlifting competition. I didn't realise it was a niche sport. I thought it was a bit weird, like going into these little these little halls and watching people lift weights. But yeah. I thought, eh, it was kind of normalised to me because I'm so used to seeing it. But you realise later that well, actually that's that wasn't normal at all, was it? <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. No, it's definitely especially in the early '90s. Like I don't even think I knew powerlifting existed. It was, and this is a time where I was even born in the early nineties. Oh wow! Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. But um, uh, yeah, it's it's at that time period. This is before, like, well, I guess ninety two, which ninety three. There might have been the internet, but not not in every home. There, this we, we, we certainly didn't have it. Yeah, and it was like yeah. So even disseminating information and shit, like even to find out about powerlifting, like to find out about a niche sport like that, to find out training articles and whatnot. Like, how did your dad get into powerlifting? Yeah, um, that's a good question. He he bumped he bumped into somebody probably in local pub or something, friend of a friend who was already lifting, being a powerlifter. And he decided that he wanted to go along with him to the gym, and that's how he got into it. But like you said about the information, International Powerlifting Magazine, because my dad had a massive stack of them in his wardrobe, so you know I'd sit and read through those as well when I was little, like wondering who were these mad people lifting all these huge weights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No shit, man. This is you had a totally different childhood. I mean, <laughs> with other people going through Sports Illustrated, you had powerlifting magazines. Yeah, powerlifting magazines, yeah. Along, alongside all of his car magazines and annuals yeah, about cars yeah. as well, yeah. <laughs> Typical, man. Did you, um, and even, you know what, even judo is a little different for, like, in terms of sports to, to jump in and, and grow up. Yeah. How long did you stick with judo? About six years. Um, my, fr- my best friend from across the street, we were kids since we were about four years old. Um, he started doing judo when he was about eight, and I was trying to convince my mum to let me go with him, but she wouldn't let me go. She didn't want to see me get beaten up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when I got to about 10, she finally let me go. And uh, I went to this first judo session, and she put me in the proper bottom class. I was on there with, like, four-year-olds running around on the mat. Oh, what the hell is this? Shit. I was going there expecting to be turned into Bruce Lee, and I'm running around <laughs> these kids. She probably wanted you to not like it. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. did. She, she definitely did. But after a while, she became like the biggest advocate of the judo. She was taking me to all the competitions and driving us around the country to go to uh, squad training for Great Britain and stuff. So yeah, I did. I did quite well as a junior. I won the British Junior Judo Championships when I was twelve, oh, and I think again when I was fourteen. Uh, did a couple of international competitions. I fought in Holland and in France, but um, I soon I soon realised that I, I wasn't really built for that i certainly wasn't built for powerlifting but i wasn't really built for judo either it's too tall too lanky yeah. like, it wasn't it wasn't really for me is it is it more of a sport like because i love like uh like the, all the grappling sports all the combat sports ufc boxing i even read um I, like i read tons of autobiographies i read neil adams autobiography do you know who that is yeah yeah, neil UK, adams, yeah. uk judo world champion is yeah. he um I think he was. I, I mean, man, I don't want to mess up his story, but he was like a like a star. And for judo, doesn't have a shitload of like stars. But he no. he like dated a, a celebrity actress or was married to her or something. And he like was in tabloids, and um, he was known for his armbar in the throw. They hit the mat and he transitioned to an armbar finish, like ninety percent of the time. Is crazy stats. And he was like UK's one of UK's prideful sons. Yeah, he was, I mean, sort of before Craig Fallon came along, 
Um, he was sort of the poster boy of sort of British judo for yeah. well forever until sort of Craig came and sort of surpassed him winning worlds and stuff. Um, and I was on the same cadet squad as Craig Fallon. Um, oh, so, so when so when I first started go, going and doing this GB competition, sort of I was you know training with likes of Craig Fallon, James Austin, these guys that went on and were on the Olympic team. Um, I never made it, but there was probably about a thousand of us that were there, and one of us or two of us made it, and the rest of us sort of just dropped off as time went by. So that's funny. Yeah, but that's crazy to be like, you were there, you were in the mix with these guys who went off to be world champions, going to the Olympics. Yeah, that's yeah. Pretty nuts, man. Yeah, I get some of the messages when I find myself friends with some of those guys on Facebook, so I may get the odd message, come back, say, I always knew you'd win at something. It just happened not to be judo. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's like a backhanded. Like, I'm yeah, glad you yeah, found yeah. your thing. You're like, okay, fuck yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't this, but well done. <laughs> yeah, well. But, however, having said that, like, it's kind of crazy how in that room, you guys, like, some guys went on to be world champions, like you and powerlifting, them and judo. Like, you... You at that point, did you have any inclination that you were going to be a powerlifter? Um, well, I'd always, I'd always wanted to do a competition. So I've been seeing my dad go and do it, and I've been training, I've been training like a powerlifter whilst I was doing the judo, um, and I was tempted to do one. Uh, my mum was like, "Oh, don't go and do that. You know, you stick with the judo and all that." And I said, "Yeah." It got to a point where I found it really hard to train for judo, like getting around the country and traveling everywhere to find people to train with. But I could go in the gym. They go, "But there's always more weight you can add to the bar." I was like, "This makes more sense to me. I can yeah. make progress in this and be in control of that progress." Whereas with the judo, it felt like you've got to go and find better coaches and you've got to go and find people to do better randori with and all that. So it, eventually, it, I just lent more towards the gym because I could see how to make progress in there, but I couldn't see how to make progress, more progress with the judo other than moving to Japan was being crazy, you know? Yeah. No, you're right. It's crazy that you, because they have a saying in like MMA boxing, but it would go for any combative sport. You're only as good as your training partners, first off. Yeah. If you train against shitty guys, then you might be doing amazing, but they're not giving you any good stuff that you're going to see when you go to the national level, international level. And you're like, wayo, not used to seeing this. So, yeah. same well, even the, like the BJJ now, though, like, same. all the clubs and everything that's there now wasn't yeah. there then. Yeah. So I felt like probably if it was there, I'd have been more inclined to actually just carry on with the judo, but just go to a load of BJJ classes and train with those guys. At least you'd, at least you'd be progressing in one area of the yeah. spot, right? Like, yeah. you, you know, I knew it was, it'd be amazing, but you know, yeah, all well, good. It'd be on point. Um, and that is the beautiful thing about powerlifting, where like, it doesn't matter, like, if you got a, a messed up schedule, you got to like train in the wee hours of the morning, you got whatever it is, it can be totally around your own schedule. You can even buy weights, have them in your house in your basement, and just do it completely on your own time. If you're like, I got, a, I got 45 minutes because I got kids and that's it. Let's just say hypothetically, this isn't me. I don't got no kids. But let's say you're like, <laughs> I got 45 minutes at 9 p.m. Or I got to be in bed by 10. My kids go to sleep at night. You could go down in the basement and smash 45 minutes worth of weightlifting and squats or whatever. And you still get some work done. No, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's pretty much exactly what I do with my training. I mean, that's the only way I can fit it in is to I, I sneak out to the garage for an hour and most nights of the week. And that's me. That's how I get my training in. Yeah. Get home from work, put the kids to bed, go out and train, come back in, have my dinner, and go to bed. That's me Monday to Thursday, pretty much. <laughs> That's why, like, and you can, so when people ask, so in some sports where it's like, to get to the top, 
if you're not a professional, and let's say you have a Joe nine to five job, mm-hmm. it'd be very difficult to get to the top. If let's say you stay with judo or any of these team sports, you got to show up. Everyone's got to show up on the team at the same time. Whereas powerlifting, you can get to the top on your own because it's on your own schedule. So whatever job you have, if you're a parent, we've had people on here like Jennifer Milliken, who's won the worlds um, a couple times, and um, she's like a a full-time, like a full-time mother, but mothers are like, you know, so hands-on, right? Everyone, every kid runs to mom, whatever. Full-time jobs. Just wake up like four o'clock in the morning and start weightlifting wee hours of the morning. And yeah. you can do it if that's what, you know, if that's what you schedule, as long as you're okay with waking up that early, training starts, practice starts whenever you want to start. You know, yeah, exactly. schedule. I think the thing that, I think the thing that people find really um, difficult to understand is being able to train on my own. Like I've, you know, I've been doing it for like years, training on my own. Uh, they, I think that most people can understand you can fit it in around work and things like that. But yeah. um, having the, having the motivation and the desire, the desire to you know, get yourself out there and get it done, I think a lot of people struggle. And certainly in the first six to twelve months of trying to do that yeah. on their own, that's that's the hardest period, I think. Um, what I did is I just said, well, I'll just book in like two competitions and then I won't have a choice. <laughs> you don't so, embarrass yourself, right? So you, that encourages you to get to get in the gym. This is, you know, it's true. I like how you said that because, uh, I mean, it's the same thing when it comes to like almost any sport, but judo, weightlifting, all of those would be the same where, because um, I do I do some jujitsu. So I relate to what you're saying as well on that level where you got guys who are training and then you, and they just train jujitsu. And, and they're just having fun. And then you got guys who compete. And I remember asking, what's the difference? Well, why does it matter if the different if you a guy who likes to compete or a guy who just likes to train? And I remember my coach saying, picture you just coming in and you're messing around on your own time, your own schedule, and you're just training. And then picture me telling you, in two months' time, you got a fight coming. You're going to fucking train a whole lot. You're, you're not taking days off. Now you're afraid of losing, getting embarrassed. You're going to be in here. I don't have to talk you into it. I don't have to tell you, hey, where were you Saturday? You're going to be there early because you're like, holy shit, I got a fight coming up. Whereas, same thing with powerlifting. Kind of like you said where it's like, all right, if you're just lifting weights, it's quote unquote the off season. It's one thing. But set a date and everyone's watching. Now they have live streams. They got Instagram. Everyone's going to see the results. You set a date, you're training. You're like, okay, I can't. Especially now on your level where everyone's going to want to be like, Tony, how did that, how'd that competition go, by the way? You know, or or whether you even want to share it or not, at your level now, um, people just repost it automatically. People find out what happened. There is no keeping it to yourself. You have a bad day, whatever. So you're going to be training. It's it's like you put the pressure on yourself as soon as you sign up for a competition. Yeah, there's well, there's a couple of things there, isn't there? There's sort of you can't you can't hide from the result of the competition, right? There's there's nowhere to go, right? Yeah. It's there going to be right in front of you, no matter if it goes really well or terribly. Yeah. Um, where's it going, really? Um, so obviously, like with uh, the world equipped, like um, I'd agreed at the beginning of that competition, went to the competition, I'd agreed like to go back to the competition the day after and do the commentary for the supers. And, <laughs> And the, the competition got up as the weight went in one out of nine lift. I thought I'd never want to show my face in public again. Oh, and I had, to, I had to go back down to the venue the next day. I, uh, I was laid in bed when I woke up that morning. I thought, I really ought to get up and go and do the commentary. But this bed feels really comfortable oh, right now. For anyone listening, so you had bombed out on, uh, was it? I, I bombed on squat and then, and then I bombed on bench. 
And then I got one deadlift. <laughs> Damn, that is tough one. Yeah, but I know what you mean. Where we've all been in those situations where, like, you agree to something ahead of time, and you're, you're not expecting. Oh, what if I bomb? You're not thinking that. And then the no. next day, you're like, "Fuck, I don't want to do this." Well, I kind of, I knew it was a, I knew it was a gamble on the day anyway. Um, but having having taken the gamble and it gone as badly as it did, uh, it was uh, kind of hard to take. I can I can cope with bombing, but you bomb on two lifts and then only get one dead yeah, lift. Yeah, 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 there's very <laughs> yeah. in this one. That that one deadlift, you're like, oh, face fuck, I got that deadlift. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. everyone around me was thinking the same thing. Thank God, I got one. Fuck, there. you got one. In. I, 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 like, I got out of bed for a reason. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Thank yeah. God. It's the most celebrated deadlift of the competition for you. Oh, uh, there was no celebrating, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. That's fair. That's fair. What did your, when you do the com, did you do the commentary? Did you end up showing up for it? I did, I did do the commentary, That's yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was actually it was okay. It was okay. I quite enjoyed it actually. After we'd it been been rich for about half an hour about bombing well, In fact, I think it went on for the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> in between, in between the squat and the bench, you're like, okay, lay the fuck up, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I just I just walked off and like I hid somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's like here's the thing though. To an extent, I think everybody in life has had situations where. Some, some some kind of failure, embarrassing, whatever, and you just want to, like you said, go into your room, close the door, and hide for a month and be like, yeah. I don't want to show my face. But there's also something we said for if you find yourself in a situation you can't escape, you can't get out of, the very next day, you got to show up with the world watching, not just the world, but your powerlifting community. Like, mm-hmm. the rest of the world kind of cares, kind of doesn't when it's powerlifting. Powerlifters care. The powerlifting yeah. community so when you're forced to face it the next day and then you get a little ribbing and you're like, all right, let's get this out the way. When it's done, you kind of are like, you know what? Fuck it. I already faced it. Like it's already, it's out there. I showed up. I owned up to it. I was, you know, you just got it out the way almost. So when it made it, yeah, it made it, it made it a lot easier actually. Um, having, having that aired sort of straight away yeah i was like oh, okay it's over now it can't feel any worse than that That's, <laughs> you, you, know, you, you, you know what that reminds me of a story so there's one dude um george foreman obviously everyone knows george foreman in the 70s he was like a, an absolute monster in boxing right and um this one guy when he's a kid grew up watching george foreman boxing and just destroying guys and then he turned pro, and um, he's like a young kid. So by the time he was pro, it was the 90s. And he would get super, super scared before a boxing match. So before he went into the ring, to make himself feel better, he'd be like, could be worse. Could be George Foreman waiting in the ring for me, right? <laughs> so then um, in the 90s, George Foreman made a comeback. And I shoot you, this guy ended up winning the Canadian title. And fucking George Foreman booked and signed and fought this guy in, uh, in in his comeback. So this dude who grew up watching what Foreman did, before he went out to fight Foreman, he was like, well, it doesn't get any worse than this. <laughs> He's like, well, I'm fucked. Here we, here we go. Yeah, yeah. What's Time to face that music, right? Here it is. And he, and, and, like, he got knocked the fuck out. It is what it is. <laughs> there's, there's no good end to this story. I'm sorry. If you, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a Debbie Downer story, but uh, it is what no, it the is. Best, the, the, best thing, the best thing about that was, though, um, 
I went to the British equipped, I bombed, I did the commentary, I, I came home and sort of, you know, I went out, went. A couple of weeks later was the uh, the British Masters. And I'd been given the Masters, I'd given the Masters loads of stick online about, um, you know, I, I made a, a stupid comment on Facebook about um, uh, paper champions that are British in previous years and that, because it wasn't very competitive in the Masters classes, so I got absolutely hammered. I mean, I'm very supportive of Masters lifting and everything, uh, but I went to the British Masters the, uh, the weekend after that as well. They said, well, you're brave. <laughs> <laughs> you so up like, oh, hi, Tony. <laughs> You're the, you the bravest or the stupid person. We've not decided it. Like, Tony, did you not see on your schedule you were coming? What? 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 Well, that's the thing with social media too, which is obviously totally different than like previous generations of powerlifting, where you say something and it's there forever. And it, it, uh, sometimes you get you don't realize how quickly it can run, how quickly yeah. it can spread. Like, like. You know, you could post something and then fucking people from all over the world or whatever, you're like, whoa. It's it's usually when you say a comment that gets people rattled that it spreads like that. You could say a hundred posts in a row and nobody says nothing. And you're like, I feel like I'm yelling into the wind. Whatever. It doesn't yeah. matter. So then you say, you almost forget. You almost get a little comfortable. So you say one thing, like like along those lines, and all of a sudden, boom, everybody's yeah. all over you. like, oh, shit. Okay. People are paying attention. There, there it is. They do pay attention. <laughs> there yeah. it is. It's funny. Like when, I first, when I first started training, there was no Instagram. No one was posting their training. No one knew how anyone else was training. Yeah. All we knew was what other people in the gym were doing, other, other powerlifters were doing. Obviously, now that the information is just all out there, isn't it? And so there's, they're kind of, there's kind of no secrets, but there's also more information. So people genuinely just better because they're doing smarter things. There, you, you can't – if like – I had Sam Watt on just recently, uh, obviously from the UK as well. And um, <clears throat> Sam was talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, um, when he was lifting in late 80s, early 90s. And he was saying just that, where he's like, the rate of progress, when when you can't information share, like for instance, um, like technically, or even like uh, in terms of coaching, like we were just talking about, you got to almost get lucky back in the day that there's a coach close by. Because otherwise, like, he's probably not going to see your lifts, you know, video of your lifts and stuff, unless you're going to email him a VCR or fucking tape, (laughs) you know, or, or, um, you know, just sending you programming and whatnot. Like you're kind of resigned to who's immediately around you. Whereas nowadays, if there's a breakthrough with programming or, or whatever, whatever kind of like, like you're, are you an RTS athlete? Is that right? No, 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 I just made that up. See that? See, see that? You make up facts. I make up facts. Who, who coaches you, Tony? Uh, no one. Yeah, oh, I, just, I do myself. Do you, so have you brought... Have, well, this is interesting. Then. So have you taken from what you've seen on social media and, and added it? Or have you kind of been sticking... Like, how has your training progressed? Well, up until about seven or eight years ago I never read any training material written by anybody I never had starting strength never had nothing Um, and then at that point I just decided I don't know why what led me to start reading but I just at that point decided I I should probably do a little bit of reading given I've been training for this long I've been progressing though I've been progressing I never really paid much attention to anything outside of what I'd done and how I'd done it and not worried about anyone else um, and at that point, I just started reading everything. And I think around that time was when the RTS and the RP and all of that yeah. information started to come out. So I thought, oh, this is quite quite sensible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's kind of, it, what I was reading through it was 
Well, I kind of do that already. I think I'm already doing a little bit of this auto-regulation because, you know, I go in the gym and if it doesn't feel great, then I change it. Um, kind of probably more, much more directly than it would be recommended in your at eight and at nine, but I would just yeah. change it into a session sometimes. But anyway, um, yeah, but until until then, I've not read anything outside of, you know, I started training, when I started training, I started training with my dad and you know, three or four other powerlifters. They were all trained in the same way, um, largely. Um, they were doing sort of, you know, your five by fives. Uh, threes and cycling back back through those so dead simple training nothing you know nothing fancy nothing all that smart just adding more weight to the bar every week basically until you got to the competition dropping the reps you know really basic stuff um yeah and, that, and I, i've done that for 10 years i mean i was training only two days a week for the first 10 12 years of my powerlifting career um, and that yeah that's yeah i'd squat i'd squat on bench one on one session and then the next session i'd deadlift and do some accessory work that was it that was that was my entire week's training yeah yeah like three hours oh, like three okay. three and a half hours okay yeah. yeah so if you're thinking about yeah the time the time you know spent in the gym it probably hasn't changed all that much but um obviously being much fresher and smarter and able to you know attack more sets across that week obviously yeah. you get stronger a lot quicker but you didn't have to think about recovery and doing all the smart things that you probably should have been doing because the time in between the sessions did that for you yeah. didn't really have to worry about diet all that much or anything like that yeah. but obviously nowadays when you're looking at it more smartly you go obviously if you're training more often you're going to get stronger but you're also going to get more fatigued and you have to manage that and you've got to be smart well training the other way you don't have to be that smart <laughs> yeah but you just what? you don't make quite as fast a progress you know it's yeah. spread out over a longer period of time what about what about like technical aspects um back in the day like like you might have got lucky and your dad and your his training partners all had you on point but um because like little things now like is your bar path on point high bar low bar like hand positioning and in like all the different levers and in, in, uh, in all the different squats or sorry in uh, all the different lifts um like did you know about that stuff back in the day or did your dad and his training partners or nah not really um if it if it passed if it passed on the day it was good enough yeah, yeah, <laughs> if you got yeah. white lights yeah you're probably okay yeah yeah <laughs> that's that's about as uh complex as it got and that's what people don't realize like when they look at progress of powerlifting now from 10 years ago and they're thinking well 10 years ago when we look at other sports um like there were great athletes but the progress wasn't like crazy in the last 10 years or for some sports they might even say like certain basketball players are with the shit some of them might say they were better right some guys uh depending on the era so some people like how did powerlifting get so much you know improvements and records fall like that over the last 10 years a, I think talent pool has something to do with it because there's a lot more people we're drawing from talent pool wise, which I love it when a guy like you comes around and you've been around this long. So it doesn't matter when the talent pool rises, cream rises with the top, right? Or I, I fucked that up. But. We know what you're saying. <laughs> we I fucked that, that up. Right, I fucked that up. <laughs> but, um, but I was going to say that. Uh, but also, um, in terms of like the technicalities, like when we're just talking even like the technicality of every lift, you literally, like, back in the day, you you just had to hopefully have someone around you who knew. And you take for granted now. Like, all these young kids now, when they come in, and now when I say young kids, for me, when it's my age now, you're 20 years old, you're a young kid. When these juniors are coming in the game, 
what we know now to be like just common knowledge um what what bar path is proper grip and you know high bar low bar and, and sumo conventional why you might do them stuff certain things like like rpe eight nine and why you need to do that and, and nutrition water cutting for weight classes if you have to do that shit that we know now which is kind of basic we would call basic yeah they know that because of all the trial and error everybody before did it who didn't have access we did we didn't have we just had to like figure it out and, and sometimes like you said you're like why the fuck is my squat so bad right now or and you go you go to a competition you're like the bar positioning is way different on that guy you might ask him and then he tells you some dude with a Ukrainian accent. Hey, you put it a little lower. You blah blah blah. That's also not fucking Ukrainian. But no, work no, with no. me. <laughs> <laughs> work with me. But um, so that's why, like, even if the talent pool stayed the exact same, just yeah. the sharing of information with like social media and whatnot, we were going to progress quickly. When you take that, the, away, ta- the talent the talent pool is it's way different, right? Yeah. Even even. Five years ago, I would yeah, say. Yeah, you know, I could I rock up to the British and put in one lift on each lift and, and win it. And it, and it, you know, there's literally no competition. Yeah. Um, you go to the British now and it's absolutely stacked from yeah. tenth all the way up to first. Like there's there's no room for an error. And um, you know, the, the next British coming up, there's probably four four or five guys capable of doing over a 900 kilo total in the 120s just here. In the, you know, in the UK, oh, and you go, well, geez, like compared to where we were, yeah, this is this is insane. Like, what's what's happened? But you see it, and you see them all coming through the juniors, and the, the rise in the in the standards has just been phenomenal. I would say even more so across in the women's lifting. Like the, oh, the standard, oh. the standard of the women's is insane. I mean, it, and especially again, the last ten years, but even the last five, uh, I would say, has been even more dramatic. Um, you know, you people winning the British that can go and place in world championships. Well, women's British ten years ago, well, there was probably one or two lifters in here at a Worlds, and now there's an entire team. You get to get to take to the Worlds, you go. Actually, they could all get on the podium. The yeah. shots, it's, it's, uh, it's, yes, it's insane. But but I, I said that you, you know you spoke about Sam when, when I first started going to college. I remember watching Sam lifting oh, the first shit. era. Really? Yeah. Wow. yeah, he he when he stopped lifting is about the time I started. Yeah. So when he he disappeared after his first phase and his 375 kilo squat, and I remember that and going, how the hell does anybody squat 375 kilos? Yeah. Um, and that's when I first started out. And I remember seeing. Yeah. I don't think I saw that squat, but I definitely saw him lift. You know what? That's this is a perfect segue between episodes then. But um, for so when he left, I remember talking to him about when he came back. And a lot of, like, he didn't know some of the rules because the rule changes. Like, he thought, oh, we got classic division now, raw division. So we had no knee sleeves. And people are like, who is this new guy who doesn't even know you're allowed knee sleeves? <laughs> yeah. Not- no, yeah. It's funny because funny I saw a couple of his posts on Instagram. People commented, who's this guy? So I go, Sam what? <laughs> talking about guys. Yeah. yeah, I know he is. <laughs> yeah. And that's where you were probably one of the only people who knew the secret. Be like, no, no, this guy's no <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah, don't worry. Uh, we, we know this story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's man, Sam at like he's pushing fifty. He turns fifty in twenty twenty this year. Yeah. The dude does not look fifty. This no. dude, this dude is diced up. Um, should be sponsored by a skin moisturizer. <laughs> <laughs> he's, 
<laughs> the guy. He's been, in the, yeah, he's been to the same fountain of youth that Dave Ricks and Tony Harris has been to, so yeah. we need to find out where that is. <laughs> yeah, only he is, man, Sam Watts, he takes his shirt off, holy smokes, man. The dude is, dude is chiseled. He's getting stronger as well. He hasn't yeah. slowed down, man, yeah. Yeah, Nuts. He, he said he attributes a lot of that um, because he didn't push all the way through. He took obviously took some time off. So in terms of injuries and whatnot, for like bodybuilding purposes, which he was doing bodybuilding, um, if, if you start getting a little banged up, you could roll back on the weights, focus on other things. You could just adjust, right? Whereas if it's powerlifting um, and you're getting banged up when you're squatting, well, you, you got to squat. Right? There's nothing yeah. else you can do. Right. Yeah, I think the thing I did notice from that interview as well, um, when he was talking about the training he did pre-coming back for powerlifting, was he was only training two or three times a week as well. I think he was only squatting once a week. And yeah. you go, when you start thinking about that and you're drawing parallels with people that have been able to compete for a long period of time, you're going, yeah, actually, maybe there is something in that. But if you really want to play the long game, you probably don't need to train as often as you're currently training. Yeah. Um, just because of the risk of injuries. I mean, there's plenty of people that come and they get super strong in a short period of time, right? They they land on the scene like a Luke Richardson. They just absolutely astronomically fly past everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> the hell's this guy doing? Um, obviously, then sometimes they disappear and sometimes they don't. Normally, they'll get injured. <laughs> There's yeah. some stages of whether or not they recover from that when they come back. Um, whereas with someone like myself and Sam, we've been doing it for an awfully long time when you look at that first period of training when we first started it was actually quite infrequent uh, it was hard training and you're going and batter yourself on that one day we again you, you didn't have to be that smart <laughs> you didn't have to have great nutrition you didn't have to plan your training all that well you just turned up and worked hard and then went home again and came back the next week and there is something to be said for that i think for longevity in the sport certainly when you're first sort of five or six years of training yeah um, it is because there's like a balance I know what you mean. There's like, a, there's like a balance between you don't want to undertrain where you're not improving enough or, or not not seeing 100% of your potential. However, um, like, man, we some of the volume we do, when we're peaking, it, it's, yeah, it'll rough you up. It'll yeah, rough yeah. you right up. In terms yeah, I don't, I don't do that much volume. Oh, really? <laughs> not anymore. Yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah, like, I just do two more heavy sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, split it up. You're like, what do we got? We got... A set of eight? Nah, nah. We're doing we're doing six doubles. <laughs> uh, I the most the most I've done is I did a, a set of sixteen on bench of the day. It was supposed to be two sets of eight, but I was like, I need to get back inside, <laughs> so I just did sixteen. I managed to get through it. <laughs> you, you know what? Um, so this is a good question. That that leads me to this. Do you find as coaching yourself? How do you find in terms of that when it comes to because when you have a coach. And, and you answer to like somebody else, so to speak. You can't let yourself off the hook. He's looking at your weights, being like, "My man, that's getting a little, that's moving a little slow." I think you maybe, you know, you wanted that nice even kilo number as opposed to because sometimes you just want to load it up. You're like, "I want to feel this weight on the bar," or you know, you could just adjust. Whereas that's one thing with a coach, you know, it's you just have to quote unquote trust the process. How do yeah. you find state? Because obviously, what you're doing is working. You won the world championships. How do you hold yourself accountable? Do you have someone that you turn to that looks at it and be like, Tony, that's look, the bar's moving a little slow? Or someone that'll say, Tony, you could be doing a little more? Or is that just all internal? So most, yeah, mostly internal. I, I try and do it during the session, but that's really hard because you're sort of emotionally attached to what you've just done. Yeah. But I'll video all of my training and then. 
later that night or the following day, I'll watch it back and I go, if this was someone else, what would I say? Yeah. Um, so you, you kind of just got to detach yourself from it. But trying to trying to do it within the session, I found really hard to do because all the time you just want to put more weight on the bar, yeah. right? So you instinctively you're just like, oh, I just want to get better, I want to get stronger, so I want to do more. Um, so you've really got to learn to hold that back as best you can. Um, obviously, with training for e- equipped. Um, powerlifting and raw powerlifting is very different. Um, obviously, with the equipped, it's even more technical, and you just have to be brutally honest with yourself. Like when you're watching a video about it, you go, was that near depth or was that anywhere near? Is that what I want to be doing? And yeah, was that bench like paused properly? Was, you know, is, is there arse up really? Can yeah. you tell? Um, sometimes you can't capture all this in a video, but I think when you've been doing it for as long as I have, you, you know, because you've already, if I've already got that doubt in my mind, I've already told myself that that was a fuck yeah. up. <laughs> right? You already yeah. red-lighted yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. you know, you're just going, ah, yeah, now I'm thinking it. I, that's why I'm thinking it. It's because somewhere in there, I already know the truth <laughs> and I'm trying to deny it. Yeah. And that's, look at, I mean, sometimes it's easier said than not. We've, we've seen like, it's, it's, it gets tempting to a low, especially with the squat, load the bar a little heavier, a little heavier. You get close to those nice round numbers you know, you're like, ah, fuck, let's, let's have a working weight of whatever weight class you're in. If you want 300 kilo or 250, like if you start getting close to those numbers and you're like, I need to be at this certain weight. And then if the day doesn't call for it, your body's just not responding. You just squat a little bit higher, just a little bit, nothing big, just a little bit. Yeah. And then you do it day after day, week after week, you're just a little bit higher, nothing crazy. And then all of a sudden, oh shit, that feels normal now. And then yeah. all of a sudden you're like, when you when you see the video and people like whoever this is, people like, hey, that's looking high. Um, you're like, when the fudge did that happen? I don't squat high. How did I start end up squatting high? And honestly, I, I'll raise my hand. I've done that. Like I've been where, I mean, especially pre social media. Social media people will put you in check. If one or two people in the comments or your friends see it and say something, you're gonna go back and analyze. But before social media, if it was just you in the gym. And no one's seeing it really, just or no one that's a powerlifting mind or eyeball seeing it. And you just start squatting just a little bit higher. And then a little bit higher the next week. And then you just stay there and it feels like the new normal after a while. When yeah. you come to competition and someone who is powerlifting eyeball sees you and you're like, dude, what the shit? And you're like, ah, when did this happen? And you it well, can't I've, I've, got, I've got a self-correcting box for that in my gym that I call the bastard box. Oh. That's, a, that's a box, a box squat for me that ends up being about four inches in um so whenever i feel like um i'm borderline or a previous competition i've missed a lift because of depth the box comes back out ah, <laughs> and it's like it's the punishment for having done that knowing that i was doing it at the time and not doing anything about it yeah. the box comes back out so you probably see the last the last sort of four or five four or five weeks of training the box has been back out <laughs> <laughs> that box is a bastard eh? he's hot yeah, it's a bastard yeah. he's hot but he does his job <laughs> He does his job. So so you do have somebody. You have the basket yeah, box. I've got the box, yeah. He's the assistant coach. <laughs> that and the clock that doesn't work anymore here. Yeah. <laughs> like, this training session is lasting forever, and this fucking yeah. judge is heartless. That's where yes. the rest in between sets is taking no time at all. That's, that's right. That's, that's right. <laughs> I'm right on pace. All right, good. Um, so, so I tell you what I did. I tell you what I did do, and, and I lost my train of thought. And I was I was replying to a minute ago. Yeah. Was after the, after the equipped competition, I bombed and I made a balls of it. And then um, I did the commentary the day after, and then I went to the the masters. And then uh, last 
like I think it's this week. So last last week I sent an article into a British powerlifting magazine because they asked me after that competition to write an article for the magazine about bombing. Oh, oh shit, man! <laughs> was, I am. You know what? Every but British. I, every... I said actually, I think there is some value in it because I think yeah. a lot of people when they they heard the commentary the next day, I got loads of comments back to me saying about how nice it was to hear someone just openly talk about it the day after the competition and not be so uptight about it and so deflated by the fact that it happened to them that they wanted they wanted to know sort of how what what my take on it was, yeah. but also. You know, just to accept that that's that's a risk of that's a risk of powerlifting. That's sport, mate. That's that's what happens, mate. Yeah. Some days it goes well, oh, some days it doesn't. And being able to accept that so close to the event and go back and just say, yeah, you know, and I think a lot of people suffer. And uh, you know, and so so I wrote I wrote the article with this guy. I, I titled the article the B word, which one made me think about it when we said bastards. <laughs> so ah! the B word is the title of the article. <laughs> you you know what? I guarantee you that article is very popular amongst the British masters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, I'm going to read this fucking thing. Uh, Tony's eating his crap right now. I'm going to eat. I'm gonna read. They were all, it was very popular. That, that magazine sold out in some sections. In senior citizens' homes, it sold out. But, um, but you're right. I mean, it is like sports teaches you. Like that's why in terms of like, like young people growing up, it's good to be in sports because it teaches you can't always win. You can't always, you got to deal with trying your hardest and sometimes it's not, it doesn't work out for you, you know? And that's, that's the way she goes, man. You, but you also realize like sports teaches you redemption is one competition away, one game away, one, it always keeps moving forward. You can either harp on that loss or harp on whatever it was and, and just carry that around with you or just let it go and, and, yeah. and move forward. And, um, I mean, it's, that's why I think it's a huge deal for, like, young people to get involved in sports, especially if you're in an individual sport, which you've been doing your whole life as individual sports. You don't have a team to help you out. Like, you no. and your team can't commiserate with each other. You, no. You, 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 gotta no, you can't blame people. anyone else, you know? It's, you, it's on you. Yeah, you're like, you what just, the fuck happened? You, you, only got yourself, you don't even have a coach to help you out, man. You just got that. You went home, and that fucking box was waiting for you at the front door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Blew, the, blew the dust off it. That's right. That box opened the front door with you. He's like, come on, man. Get in here, this man. Is, we got work this is a pretty, the, funny, the funny thing is, actually, Dean, Dean, who's the senior coach of the, the British uh, equipped powerlifting team, said you need to go and get the box back out. <laughs> that was, that that was a comment Dude. after the squat. You better go get the box back out. Dude, we're making that box famous right now. <laughs> he's he's gonna start up. I all, made. He's gonna start up online coaching. Yeah, <laughs> I made I made that box about oh, eight years ago. Out of two bits of plywood and a couple of planks of wood and yeah. some nails. It's like really like rusted old. Like you know, you can accidentally slip on it and like rip your leg off. It's like yeah, it's that kind of that kind of piece of equipment. Dude, you know, one of them. This <laughs> box to me is like fucking Mickey from Rocky. Yeah, I'm gonna take the photos of it and put it up. You, <laughs> you gotta draw a face on it and fucking get personality. Put devil's it, devil's horns on it. As devil's well. horns on it. And he's yelling at you. Come on, you animal! But uh, looking looking at so your 2019 was the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. How do you yeah. manage something like that? Like we just talked about. So we're I mean, funny enough, we're dwelling on the equipped worlds, but the total opposite. Was was the classic worlds? Yeah. And how yeah. do you 
having felt like this, that's why your 2019 is a fuck. Talk about a roller coaster ride, Tony. <laughs> it could be more polar opposite. Um, what was the feeling like? A going into Sweden and then having done what you did, like your your performance at Sweden. Like I said on the on the commentary, and it's the truth. That was a fucking master performance, my friend. You had room in the tank. Um, like you you just were so on point from. The strength was obviously there. Technically, there was no breakdowns. The attempt selection were so on point. Uh, and if you got pushed, that was the day whoever's going to fucking push you was going to have a battle because you had like you had more on those lists. And it looked like it just you know when you're watching someone and you're like, oh, this is on this day right now. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about previous, but this day right now, this fucking guy is damn near unbeatable. Like that was your day. Yeah, that was my day. Yeah, it, it went really well. The prep going into it wasn't perfect. Um, I felt really strong. And I had been, training had been going really well up until about eight weeks before it. And I tweaked something in my back and I had to get a load of physio. And uh, since that point until the, up, right up until the competition, um, I couldn't really squat super, super hard like how I wanted to squat. So my squat is, was actually way down on where I was expecting it to be my best squat raw was 340 and i think i did like 327 and a half on the day and i opened really light i opened on 300 so i was like i'm just going to be sensible because i could see the nominations where i was like i knew that i had to make night lifts if i had any chance of winning it so i'll just go in and be cautious but in the in the build-up to the competition i've been getting up really early in the morning to train my squat because i knew we'd be squatting sort of at silly o'clock in the morning in Sweden. Like we had to get up at five in the morning to go and weigh in at six or something crazy and then start to start squatting at eight o'clock in the morning for anybody is not pleasant. Oh, yeah. um, so I've been doing that in the training leading up to competitions or that way. If I, can, if I can get my squat to the level that I need it to be for the competition at that time in the morning, I know on the day I'll be okay. Well, the, the other lists have been going great. Bench have been absolutely flying. I thought I'm on for like a 250 bench or something here. So there was plenty in the tank left as well. So I was going into that thinking that would be fine. Uh, deadlift, nah, because of my back, couldn't really train it all that much. Um, but I found with my deadlift that the more I train it, the worse I perform in a competition anyway. So I, I was only picking weights up off the floor maybe once every three weeks or so just to make sure I wasn't hurting my back. Yeah, I was, I was still pulling out of the rack and doing these bits, but I wasn't really hammering it and the 350 that is nowhere near a pb either i think my pb is 357 and a half and i felt like in the weeks prior to that i was i was thinking man i could pull 360 it was anyway so and then on the day um you know i put my openers in so obviously 300 was quite a conservative squat opener um bench was a bit i think i had to put in 230 because i was thinking well, i could i could bench 250 today um, and uh, the deadlift was in at 320, 325 maybe. Um, so uh, you know we've done the we've done the squats. People started missing a couple of squats. I got all three of mine. So I just stayed sensible, uh, made sure I got them on. I think after we'd finished squatting, I looked at the the, the rest of the nominated lifts and I went, I, th- I think I've done this already. I think all I've got to do is just get them in. Yeah. Uh, because somebody else is going to have to take a real gamble looking at the totals and where we were. I just had half an eye. I, I, I knew Eric's numbers. So I knew where he was. Um, but I had half an eye on the Ukrainian because I've never seen him before. And his other two lists were really strong, but his bench was really low. I thought, if they turn around and just pop in a, an extra 20 or 30 kilo on that opener, I might have a bit of a battle here. Yeah. Turns out they weren't going to do that. I think he had a shoulder injury or something. So um, I said to Henry, let's drop the opener. So we dropped the opener on the bench from 230 to 225. We'll just just start making sure now. And I said, at that point, I said, we probably want to drop the deadlift opener as well. 
Um, so they said, yeah, okay, we'll do that, but we'll leave it in for now and we'll wait till after the benches and then see where we're at. So obviously I've got all three of my benches, bench had gone out. Okay. I thought, you know, I'm going there thinking I was going to bench 250 and end up with 242 and a half. And it wasn't a big struggle, but there was probably only about 245 there. Um, so, you know, at that point I thought right now, all I've got to do is just get two deadlifts in and then just hold out, see what everyone else is going to start sticking in and then, put in a number I can probably go and pull quite comfortably. At that point, they were all going nuts trying to get deadlift medals, right? So there was 360s here, 370s there. I was going, none of these guys can do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go, Henry said, well, what do you think you can pull today? I said, probably 355. He went, so what do you want to put in? I went, 350. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> then we just, because at that point, it was just sort of securing it and making it hard enough that I knew Eric would have to put in a deadlift so that he it would just stretch him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he still put it in, <laughs> which I probably would have as well when yeah. he went for it. But I think it was, it was, enough. I think if I hadn't have done that and I just go, ah, I'll just go 360 and go for a PB, I'd have left the door wide open for Eric and he'd have gone and probably pulled, you know, a 360 or whatever it needed to get it. So in the end, it, it worked out absolutely perfectly on the day. Um, it wasn't pre-orchestrated or anything. We were just managing it as we were going along and working through the lifts. And there was, kind of no no real emotion connected to any of those lifts it was just let's just get another one in let's just get another one in and I came off from I think it was my first bench and I was talking to the Austrian coach I'd been, been over there in 2018 and I said something like four down five to go <laughs> it was that sort of it was just really methodical and like yeah. you know just but previous previous worlds obviously um I've been always been sort of the underdog like third or fourth in the nominations and i was just there and just trying to get as big a total as i possibly could and then at this one it was like well i'm top of the nominations and everyone else has got to catch me so i'm going to do what they did to me and just keep getting lifts in <laughs> and let everyone else sort of have to take the gamble it is you know it's it's funny how some some things work out like for instance with this injury because the injury came and you're like oh, fuck, we better be a little humble because of this injury Sometimes, like, it, it keeps you in the pocket. It forces yeah. you to play that game. Whereas if you went in there, let's say your training was absolutely bonkers. Just throwing weights around you and your personal bets in squat and deadlift. You walk into Worlds and all of a sudden you're like, oh, fellas, we have some massive lifts in us. And that's where, let's say you just missed one-third squat, one-third dead. Yeah. Door swings open. We see yeah. it a million times at the world level. Like, it makes a difference, right? Like, some people... When they go to like local competitions and um, if they post up big totals in local competitions and don't realize like weight is weight, gravity is gravity. What does it matter if I did this at a local meet or if I did this at a national or world level? There's mm -hmm. a big difference because at the yeah. world level, you miss even one lift. The guy behind you now is now adjusting and they're watching what's the speed on your second. What's the speed on? How much do you have left? You start missing lifts. You start gassing out a little bit because you're redlining if it's a grinder. Let's say you get your third, but it's a grinder, and all of a sudden you're by the time Dennis rolls around and and the coaching and the handling at this level, like the the British um, coaching staff in terms of handling is right right the hell up there with the Americans and Canadians. Like these days, when you talk to um, any Australians, when you talk to those coaching, they know everybody else's like all all the competitors you're going against. They know the previous competitions. They even know talking to Matt Gary from the U.S. They will crunch numbers like how often does Tony Cliff miss or hit his third attempt? How often does a uh, 33%? Okay, well, let's pay attention to his second attempt then, shouldn't we? And they start, they'll analyze video. Okay, well, this is what it looks like. I know 
Tony Cliff, 66% of the time, misses his third attempt. And this is what, when I looked at his second attempt, this is what it looks like when he misses. And this is what his second attempt looks like when he hits. So now they're watching your third. And they do this. Now they're watching your second attempt, and they're like, oh, fuck, he's going to hit. He's going to yeah. hit. I know. And they'll, this is the level. They're not going to do that for everybody in the top ten. But if Tony Cliff's there and you're number two, Tony's number one, that that's what the coaching is doing these days. Like, it's, yeah. it's that level. So when you go in there with something like an injury and all of a sudden your numbers are completely different, you're in the pocket, sometimes things happen for a reason and you, you like that opening squat, probably didn't move your nervous system at all. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're fresh and you could have went all day with the pace you were going. I could, I could have probably, I could have probably done all nine again, and yeah. it probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have been an issue. Um, I think I had, I had one other world uh, classic championships that was kind of like that kind of day, and that was in Finland. I did like a nine ten in Finland. I, was, I can't remember what year that one was, um, and I just got, just got everything right on that day. It just, everything just fell into place. But I had no injuries or anything going into that. I was just feeling really strong, but I was so far behind. Um, who would it have been Evalio Christoph and Mohamed Buffy at the time? It was just all about just making sure I secured third place. Yeah. Um, I think Mike Tashira came fourth. He'd had an injury and he come like he did like an eight sixty-five or something total that day. And I was talking to him afterwards, so I was expecting a battle for sort of third here, like between uh, those two guys, and there wasn't one. I mean, they all elaborated on his injury, but it was that kind of day where it just just it could have picked any number, and it just felt like it would have moved. Um, yeah. yeah. But you know, yeah, some some days you have those days, and so you plan for you plan for a competition like like a world championships, and you expect to go in there, and sometimes you expect to go in there, and you're gonna have to PB every lift to get anywhere near the podium. So you go into it with a slightly different attitude to going into one where you know you're a contender for winning this. You tend to be much more conservative and go more don't want to take a gamble on openers. I don't want to take a gamble on the day on any of the lifts. Um, whereas I've got to plenty of, um, in fact, I think there was a big change in my attitude to go into a competition and how I was performing after we had our daughter. So I, I went, I went to competition knowing I'm going away, spending time away from the family, going to an international, doing all this work, being away from the family. I want to make sure I put performance in that's worthy of all that effort. Yeah. And I think, and I think prior to that, I'd go to, a world championship knowing I'm not going to get anywhere near the podium I'm just going to go and just smash out as big a lift as I possibly can on every lift and see how we go and it's more of a gamble kind of attitude yeah. whereas ever since we had Freya and probably up until the world equipped I'd always taken the attitude I want to get as many lifts in as I can and I want to prove that the effort and everything that I've put into this build up has been worth it um, and that you know I'm holding myself at the right level and I'm able to perform against these brilliant guys and come like you know and, and be competitive then then you switch to the world equipped and my attitude going to that was actually let's just gamble and go for number one oh, because shit. this this is an opportunity to do something that no one's ever done yeah. uh, certainly in the UK uh, was win, win a classic and a world championships in the same year um, and I knew the Ukrainian is so far ahead of the pack that I could say, well, I could stay with the pack, do what I normally do, make some lifts, build a total, do all these things and, you know, make the podium, which I probably would have done. Or I can throw a Hail Mary on every lift, 
stick in the tightest bit of kit I could possibly find and just go for it. Yeah. And I made that decision sort of seven weeks before the competition to say, fuck it, I'm just going to go for it. Because right? you only get one opportunity to do one like this. And I figured, I'm always going to finish 2019 as a world champion, so it doesn't really matter. Like, if, it, if I made that choice already, it doesn't, yeah. really, doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, and it will give me a good... Um, a good feeling knowing that I've been able to go and just throw everything at it. There I went and I threw everything at it and it all fell apart. I mean, it could have easily gone the other way as well, right? Could have easily, I took that gamble and it paid off and everyone's then going to be asking me, how did you know to protect that gamble? How did you know to do this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, such is the game we play, right? It's, it's either, like, you will either fall on your sword or you're going to stick that sword in the other guy's chest and you're the champ. Um, yeah, yeah, it's that's what competition is too. Where um, if you go into a local competition and basically you're lifting against yourself, you're just lifting against gravity. No one's pushing you, but when you're in a, a deep competition and it's deep and thick, and you're fighting for medals, you get pushed. You're like, look, at, I can't. I, I my max squat is maybe five kilo below this, but if I want a medal. If I want to start placing, this is the shit I got in. I got to come out of the pocket. Maybe I hit it. Maybe I grind out and I gas out after this. Or maybe maybe I miss it and, and we're really falling back. But that's the difference when in competition. And that's that's also different. Like you going back to what you said earlier where you could show up previously in other generations of powerlifting. And it wouldn't be like this. But this day and age when the competition's like this, you can't hide. You show up. The level of, uh, I feel like, not only is the level of, of the lifters way better than it used to be, but handling, we, like handling, because the competition is so deep, you're, the handlers have to be on there, like know all this stuff, know the competition, know like these stats and, you know, otherwise you just, what are you doing here? I don't need someone just to wrap my knees or I don't need, if it's classic, I don't need you to hand me the fucking chalk and tell me I'm four out. It, it's past that. Some people don't even know handling is, is like an art. You know, when, you're, when yes. you're from a nation, I see at the world, if I see like like Great Britain, the Union Jack on someone's chest or USA or whatever, I'm expecting, I know their team, their coaches, they know all about, like they're going to push, like let's grab a chip, let's, let's you know, what's our lot numbers and they're, they're doing all the games that you can play at that, at that level. Whereas oh, yeah. some nations that aren't used to that of worlds and like, Oh shit, we got someone who's actually going to world. So they show up and they're kind of wide eyed, like, Holy shit. They're out of their depth a little, you know, they'll get bullied around when it comes to handling and attempts and they'll make mistakes. And you're like, Oh fuck. I don't know why you did that. And as a commentator, you're like, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but I'm supposed to call it like I see it. So I'll be like, you ordinarily probably would not. Oh, they, know, they know as well. They, they, if they do make a mistake on a call, or they do, they're just going to get absolutely berated for the rest of that trip, and probably for the next one because yeah. we've done it. Yeah. <laughs> well, everyone, even the best of the best, will make mistakes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I've I've seen you know not to get too specific, but I've seen situations where um, you know lifters have have bombed and um, in deads, and they were ahead, and it's like, why did you pick? What was going on in the warm-up room that you didn't see? Like, why didn't you open lighter and just secure? Secure the wing with your second. 
or you know like like yes that's the that's the tough thing with powerlifting right you read it in there i I realized i realized quite early in going to internationals that you better make your warm-ups look good otherwise your numbers are getting changed and your plan is out the window (laughs) so i'm in that warm-up room thinking i better make this look convincing because otherwise they're going to go and drop it five or ten kilos and i'm going to end up nowhere near where i want to end up that's right hey the bastard box isn't with you man you just (laughs) all right you you need to bring the bastard box as your assistant coach the next world (laughs) And sign him up. He's got a fucking. He's got the uh, with the lanyard and everything. But um, and I guarantee people will take pictures and shit now that we're making fucking infamous. But um, uh, oh, oh, another thing that sometimes coaches do. Um, I've heard coaches. I know just recent on the Canadian team. He's like, look at like he's been in situations, and this is this is some sly stuff. They're like, we might need to do a hell mary with our third if we're gonna take like a medal or something, right? He's like. So I'm going to put in your second. I need you to fucking crush this. And even though it's a really big dead for you, I need you to hit this with speed. And I need you to walk off there like you fucking knew it. And it was never in doubt. Even, even if it's a personal best. Walk off that fucking platform like you've been hitting that in training for the last six weeks. So that when I put in your bullshit placeholder third, they all believe it. And then, and this is how this sounds sly. Shout out to Justin Reeson. But I know other coaches are like that too. You do games like that, and then you can oh, change yeah, it. They all know. I've been doing it for a while. I mean, I, I remember one. Um, yeah, I can remember the name of the lifter. Uh, I think he was, he was definitely a Russian. I can't remember his name. He went out for his opener. Really struggled. Look, the hardest lift you've ever seen. I think it was like it was over 300 kilos, probably 300 kilo deadlift. Like, oh no, he's not. He's not got any more. Like, he's open too heavy. Didn't come out for his second. Boom, puts in like 350 for his third. Goes out and smashes it. You were like, did you fuck around with that? Do you think he did it on purpose? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Oh my god, that is so amazing! To yeah. oh man, like that's gutsy though, because if you miss you your see, third, yeah, but you see it, you see seeing all these things that uh, you know, all these games have been played around, and the you know the certainly in the equipped side for a long time, like wow. you know, um, there's some some mad lists going on out in the equipped. Um, you know, I think the thing that got me back into wanting to go back and do an equipped lift, uh, a quick competition, was uh, in, 2000, in 2015, I did my last equipped Worlds. And then I think it was last year that a Ukrainian 105, um, Semenenko, went out and he did that 445 kilo world record attempt and his suit blew out on him. And he, and he, he the suit blew out and he looked like you might have been killed by the bar or whatever. And they dragged him off. He comes back out for it on the third in a different suit. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I watched that and went, I've got to go and put a squat suit back on. Dude, here's <laughs> it was the just thing. amazing. Here's the thing. When he was at the bottom of that squat with 440 whatever kilo on his back, and he felt, you know, when the suit blows out, you're going to he- audibly hear a tear and feel the... <laughs> he probably telling himself, fuck, I hope that's the suit. <laughs> I hope I made you... Blow my asshole at the back of my body. <laughs> Am I viral famous? What the fuck just happened with my body? Uh, I think they'd have just stitched him back up and sent him out again, you know? Yeah, well, <laughs> if he's Ukrainian, they'd be like, we don't bomb. We're going back no, out. we're not bombing. Get back out there. Get back out there, son. <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen um, some crazy things in powerlifting. Uh, I think 2016, 
it was the infamous, and this is one of these we'll never know situations, where in the 84 kilo class, Ilya Strick was going against Ana Rosa Castellane. And these are both like world champions, veterans of the game. Um, Anna uh, won world championships in and out of equipment, uh, classic and, and, and equipped. Um, and she's also holding the world record right now. She did it at the uh, Pan American Championships. But anyways, so we don't know. We'll never have the answer. But she came out for a second deadlift. Missed it. Okay? Missed it. And then Ilya thought, oh, well, fuck me. I got this. So put in her third. She's going to dead first. Because Anna put a placeholder last. It was going to dead last. So Ilya's thinking, well, I just watched her miss her second. I just have to beat what she put in on her opener. Because she fucking missed her second. And it looked like miss it on strength. So she put in what she thought she had to to win. Obviously, you don't load the bar more than you have to to win at the highest level. You don't go for personal best. You know that, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. Smokes it. It already is celebrating when she locks out the deadlift. Like, wow, yeah, but, you know, like, I, I did it again. And then Anna comes out, and everyone's thinking, ah, oh, fuck, this is a <clears throat> one of those Hail Marys. Like you had said, where guys are loading up deadlifts, and you're like, you're not going to get that. Come on. Yeah. <clears throat> she comes out. Shit you not, Tony. Fight of her life, smokes his third deadlift and gets it. And then from there on out afterwards, I remember talking to Ilya and she's like, she fucking did that on the second on purpose. Hats off to her. She, she's like, hats off to her. That, that's some sly devil stuff. But it, it's all risk. I mean, it's... It's, it's, a, it's a gamble either way, right? Anything can happen in that scenario. Yeah. It's one of those like, all right, if we do this and you really do miss your, your third deadlift, now what are we looking at? Yeah. Flip side, if you do this and you hit your third, well, that's the stuff of legend, isn't it? Right? That's the stuff sure of legend. Is. It right? sure is. Sometimes you go out on your sword, my friend. <laughs> well, that, 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 well, I definitely did that. <laughs> You've done both. You've been around. You've done both. Um, one thing you haven't seen before in all your years is the SPD Invitational and a competition like the SPD Invitational. Let's talk about yeah. that for a minute because Sweden was a big win, obviously, World Championships. No one will ever be able to take that from you now. It's on your resume. But you didn't know at the time that it was going to be your ticket to like some uh, an SPD Invitational, which, I mean, we got some for real money. I know the production value going into this and everybody's super hyped, champion versus champion, etc. What were your thoughts when when you found out? About yeah, the SPD? Well, that was good timing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, just all the all the years that I've tried to win the worlds, and the the one that I happen to win, <laughs> they bring this in the next year. I was like, thanks very much, Ben. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, I will accept your invitation. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. I think I said it back within about fifteen seconds of having received it. <laughs> and it's in the UK. Yeah, yeah. It's it's about an hour from where I live. Oh snap! This is almost yeah. it's almost your hometown. Yeah, it is. Dude, yeah, this right. is... Sheffield is the short drive, you know. So when they're asking us to stay over like the Wednesday to Sunday, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I could probably drive there in the morning, but all right. Well, yeah, we'll make it a hotel night. Let's yeah, get treated like a king. Why not? Um, yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. I'm so thankful for SBD for having you know and Ben for having the goal to do something as mammoth as this for powerlifting. Mm-hmm. I think the timing of it is probably perfect given the the ramp we've had in the surge, surge in number of lifters and the interest and everything. And 
Um, yes, I mean, unbelievable. Um, and then the SPD sort of getting involved with uh, the strongman side of stuff as well. And then that having the hype that it's had and over in Sheffield and Leeds where they have these big Giants live competitions. Um, it's obviously, it's got the interest there from just the general strength sport view to make sure that they get a big enough crowd that it makes it viable for them to put the competition on. But uh, it's absolutely brilliant, you know. I cannot wait. I think it's a fantastic idea. Obviously, I hate IPF points, but I mean, other than that, it'd be yeah, fine. yeah, yeah. It is what <laughs> it is. I know what you mean. Where, yeah, it, it, that's the thing. When it's formulas, it's one of those. Fuck, somebody's going to get the shaft somewhere. It's. You know, yeah, it doesn't. It's, it's, it's really not important. Right? It's the spectacle of the of, event, and and being a being a part of that is sort of more important than you know. They're just details, you know. <laughs> yeah, and bringing everybody in to one spot, the amount of eyeballs, like what's happening with and for people who don't know, strongman is freaking huge in Britain. Um, like it's uh, over here in North America, it's it's big. But um, talking to Peter, he was telling me because SBD is all over strongman now. Um, yeah. You know, major sponsors of Strongman, and they can get like five thousand people. They, they can they can pack places in with Strongman, and SBD sees it. They're one hundred percent on board with Strongman and, and giving it a push. And it's a strength sport. We have crossover athletes, and now that SBD is trying to bring that with powerlifting, and they see how in the UK. Because I was asking, like, why 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 UK? Not that there's anything wrong with UK, but like, was there a reason? And he's like, look at my friend, strength sports in the UK. Like, he's like, you guys don't know. They hold a strongman competition in North America. A few hundred people show up. They're pretty happy. They hold it in the UK. A few thousand people show up. Yeah, I, mean, you get, no, I think there was, there was a crowd of uh, 10,000 at that European Strongest Man when Eddie Hall pulled the 500 deadly. Yeah, it's insane. It insane. Yeah, we can't, we can't even fathom that. So he's saying, like, look, if we can... And this is why, like like you said, okay, whatever, IPF points, whatever. It's not really the point. The point is right now, anyways, in the early days, um, and hopefully they do this year after year, but they're focusing on making a competition, and they're, they're, they chose where they are very, like, like they're looking at the market saying, they in strength sports, they will support it. They can actually sell tickets. People will actually show up to an event. There'll be, actually, like, money on if, if like, the stream is top-notch and they bring in a solid crew and it's you know it's all about possibly in the future if we could end up having five thousand people at a powerlifting event all killer nothing but killers you don't have to stay for six hours it's just <laughs> one flight you know yeah and in terms of jigging um you know how you have winners how you have as the years go by things will change things will progress but this is yeah. like the grassroots yeah, I think there's there, there is a there's a prize there's prizes for total and there's prizes for IPF points. I mean, it's, you know, I think everyone's going to take something home. In world um, records as well. I mean, you so it's not it's not the end of the world. Yeah, world records. Yeah, not that we're breaking any of those, but yeah, some people will. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. yeah, but even like even like knowing, let's say, man, ten years from now, this thing gets keeps blowing up and it goes the route of Giants Live, etc. Being yeah. a part of the first one. Like, no one will ever take that from you either. Like, you were there. That's it. Nah. Number one, That's, you know? It's, yes, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, I just can't believe the look and the timing of it all. <laughs> you know, Dennis, Dennis, Dennis disappeared for a couple of years. You know, Mohamed Buffy got caught for drugs. If Ali Hristov got both caught for drugs. Uh, Amanda didn't turn up to Worlds because he had a drug failure as well. Yeah, yeah. All, this, all this stuff, all this stuff that led into it and it just happened to fall just 
right at the right time. Now, Eric won in 2018. They could have easily made it 2019. Yeah. You know, it just, I can't believe, yeah, can't believe my luck, really. So I'm going to turn up and just smash as big a weights as I can possibly lift and enjoy myself. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> it, 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 like, you, you picture you in the early 90s when you first started out in powerlifting was like, like you started out powerlifting in a fucking prison, Tony. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Talk about started from the bottom, now we're here. Holy oh, shit. Mate. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a bit of a... a, a, a chalkboard, chalkboard with people's numbers on it. And, you know, when, you, when people are talking to me about, you know, the quality of British championships and we've got, we need this sort of, we need this screen so we can see what's going on from the warm-up room. Oh, and look at that and go, yeah, we had a guy who just had to come in and tell us what, you know, the order was. Like, yeah. <laughs> this competition, we couldn't even see the platform when we were warming up. It was like a 10-minute warm. And it's just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you would be a tough guy to have that conversation with because you were used to your first competitions in a fucking prison. <laughs> you were you wanted to get in and out alive. <laughs> well, well, you had to stay there all day as well. You couldn't leave. So, yeah, 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 of course, you're in. Not. You're in. Yeah. You go to the washroom. Your dad's like, you better fucking go with me. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. right they got those toilet doors that are just like barn doors because they can't have a full door. So yeah, that was, that was, yeah. that's the funniest thing about going to that when I was a little kid. I was like, someone could just put their head under the door and I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that's one thing where, like, with everything you've, like, your career, as long as it's been, when you show up to something like Sheffield and, and everything you've accomplished, the highs, lows, everything, it's. At your at, like, I think the older you get, the more you realize this is this is a moment when you see like these milestones in the sport, milestones in your career, but milestones in your sport as well. Yeah. So this this could be the first of a series that God knows what's going to happen. God knows that SBs. I have a lot of faith in SBD. They're brilliant in terms of how they're handling themselves and growing. Um, so that's why I got a lot of confidence in the SBD Invitational. So when you show up, you can be like, look at this. This could be a moment. I, 10 years from now, I can look back and I don't want to be the guy looking back at me like, I wish I fucking just was there in the moment and appreciated and just centered myself and not, yeah. not focused on shit out of my control and not been the, like everyone's, you know, I think more and more like when I show up to world championships now, um, and I'm lucky, I'm, I'm like you, man, I'm fucking lucky. I get flown out to world championships, commentate. I got the best job in the world. Sometimes I feel like you sometimes from like the, the stars just align, like, holy smokes. Um, like I think we both earned it for sure that we both have background stories but still I, I know what you mean where when I show up now I don't take nothing for granted man I, I walk out there and I'm like like I'm like stay present look around you yeah, this is crazy I'm det- this is yeah, crazy. Det- determined to take it all in and enjoy it enjoy the moment enjoy the enjoy the build up and all the stuff that yeah. we'll have to do and talking to the media and things and yeah I, I can't wait I mean, it's, it's really exciting I mean I wrote I wrote um I wrote uh, an, an article not long ago expressing how um, excited I am about um, about the competition and the event, and um, you know. But at the end of it, you know, you remember it's is a competition as well, and anything can happen. It's sport, and these guys, you know, everyone else has got to travel from a long way away. I'm on my doorstep. This is my home crowd. Yeah. You know, you know, you start to you start to build up, and, and I think and I start to think about how I ended up here and how I'll end up competing in this competition. Anything could happen here, yeah. and this could be the story of stories. Like you know, so I'm, I'm saying, I'm just gonna wait and see this play out, and I'm just gonna work my ass off in the gym between now and then and yeah. see what happens on the day. You never know. Look, at, there's yeah, there is. 
there is cash price and whatnot for, for most weight lifted. There's, there's a lot. Of, and even then, like you said, you show up and you stay in the pocket and you do your job and let other people push each other. Let other people, you don't know what they're going in with. And injury-wise, frick, dude, how often do people show up and they're not 100% and you will never know if they're 100% or not until afterwards. And you're like, oh, I, I yeah. you're like, I didn't realize you were injured. I would have totally played that differently. You know? I am watching you guys build up the 74s, 83s, oh, all this battle. Okay, this is fucking brilliant. We love a build up. <laughs> you just stay quiet about the 120s and the 120s. Yeah. Happy. Yeah. You just wind those guys up. Yeah. Wanted to break a world record on every lift. That's fine by me. That's right. <laughs> well, that's what some someone actually commented in the comment section saying, like, you guys, not just us, but like everybody's hyping up it's so much this race to 800, whatever that. These guys can really start missing lifts on the competition. If you show up there with all that pressure, be like, "All right, to hit 800, I need this squat, this bench, this," and you just put, you pace yourself in, as opposed to just going out there doing your best on that day. The pressure yeah. gets ratcheted up, and that's the individual when they actually face off again at U.S. Raw Nationals, and they're all eyeball to eyeball with all the shit they were talking. You, you can't, you like, you know, in Sweden, you're like, "All right, we can drop the openers. Let's go a little lighter." But what if you and Eric and you and you, what if you guys are all talking shit and you're like, ah, shit, man, I can't, I can't back up. I can't step down right now. We got to, I'm going out on my shield. You know, yes. it's, it's a zero it's in the end. But I'm, I'm going, as, going as well, going, well, actually, these guys are going to make weight to break world records as well. And they're not going to want to turn up weighing 78 kilos and do it in there. That's not a story. Yeah. So they've got to make weight. And I'm here going, I weigh 125 in the morning. I don't give a shit. Do you really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as you turn up, do the biggest talk I can and then just watch these guys do whatever they've got to do. It, it is, um, I, that's a huge advantage to not have to cut. Have you ever had to cut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try and get to 120 is a pain in the ass most of the time. I have to, well, I have to maintain my weight at you know 122, 123, um, and then I do a little walk up to get down on the day. Most competitions, I don't know, an awful lot. So I'm used to doing it, but it's nice to go into a competition knowing that I don't have to bother. That is really nice. Like, like, do you water cut or do you like diet down to the actual weight? Well, I, do, I diet to maintain, and then I water cut to hit. Okay. Okay, yeah. yeah. And at your body weight, three kilo, five kilo isn't too crazy. Yes. Yeah. No, it's not a lot of weight. Yeah. It's not a lot of weight. Because it, there is a big, uh, you're 100% right, you see some guys who are absolute monsters in the gym when they're in the lighter weight classes. And then when they hit the platform, it's like, well, what happened there? What happened? Yeah. And, and they're like, well, I was like a weight class up. <laughs> I was yeah. in the gym. I was like half a weight class up. So it's it's that's another reason why. You know, when you follow social media and you see what other people are doing, sometimes it gets in your head and you go into a competition thinking you need certain numbers when you don't. And you think, yeah, yeah. oh my God, this guy's going to squat that. This this girl's going to bench this. And it's like, you don't know. Are you basing this off of the gym list that you see in social media? Because it's not that. I, Brett Gibbs was coaching me one time. And I was like, look, I crunch the numbers. And I think I know what this guy needs that to, for me to win this. Because his previous personal best was this. If I conservatively increase that by 5%, on all of his lists, I think he's going to hit that. So then if I hit this, this, and that on all my lists, I'll end up with, and Brett's like, my man. <laughs> he's like, he's like, this is normal. Everyone does it. But he's like, you just gave this guy not only his best day in all three, but increased by 5% on all three. <laughs> uh, no injuries, no nothing. He's like, let's just fucking call. Let's just see what happens. He's like, don't, you know, you're overthinking this. 
But yeah, it happens. We do worry about it. Worry about it on the day, and don't worry about it the rest of the time. Keep in your mind the things that you're going to control and what you can do, and yeah. you know, do the best that you can. Yeah. And that's and that's a great mantra. But it's often it's very easy to get dragged into these things, right? Especially with social media. And the reason, kind of the reason I didn't come on King of the Lifts before. Uh, worlds because you invited me on before right. worlds right yeah, and yeah, i was yeah. like no nah, i don't think i will i'll speak to you afterwards yeah yeah um uh, and there's a there's a reason for that i mean i've never i've never been in that pole position on the nominations before um so i wanted to avoid talking about it pretend it wasn't happening <laughs> you know what? you gotta do what you gotta do i mean yeah. like i don't know we've seen it in other sports sometimes when the heat turns on um like what's happening with these guys in the 74 kilo class when you have four guys who are neck and neck and they're all, like, they're all taking jabs at each other. Most of it's in fun and whatever. They're, but they're drawing a lot of attention. And the heat's yeah. rat- it's ratcheting up. So now it's not just, if you, if you don't have a great day, it's just on you. Who cares? Whatever. It's, you'll have people who can't fucking wait for you to have a bad day. That's yeah. the difference. Where, if you're talking shit, and this other guy has fans and followers, if you have a bad day, they're like, fucking told you, Tony. Fuck you. <laughs> where, where is... If there's no shit talking, whatever, you have a bad day, whatever. That's just you. It's tough on you. But people actually, when there's back and forth and hype, people pick teams. People pick sides. And they, like, want their guy to win. And they want you to lose. And there's, like, you know, it's different. It's funny funny because apparently I've always found that – you you're always sitting there, and I heard this about strongman as well. Does you you go into a competition and the competition around you, and you, you want everyone to do their list. You want everyone to do really well. You just also want to do a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. you, you hit your lift also half a kilo. Yeah, you know, yeah. You don't you don't you don't want anyone in there to sort of have a terrible day and they bomb or whatever and everything goes badly. You want everyone to do really well, but you win because you did slightly better than they did. I mean right. that's and I've always found that in the warm up room and I found that throughout the, the community of powerlifting, certainly in the UK, has just been everyone's very encouraging with everybody else. All right, it's competition to competition and someone's gonna come first, second and third. But at the end of the day, and the attitude of everyone in the war is always very supportive and very welcoming and open and encouraging to everyone else. And I've always tried to be like that with everyone else who's coming up, certainly in my weight class as well, because I've got some guys that turn up now, Dave Richardson done a 900 kilo total yeah. you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'll be the one there cheering him on and, and hoping he does really well. I just want to be the one who does a 901 kilo total. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. As long as you end up on the right side of that. It's just- oh, yeah, that's, that's the... That's the thing. Do you think that'll change a little bit? The tone will change a little bit? The bigger powerlifting gets, the, the bigger the shows, the more the live streams, the more the notoriety certain lifters get, and the social media and hype around it. Do you think that might change? Because back in the day, we didn't have this trash talking, but back in the day, you had known to trash talk to. There was no social media. Do you think it's going to further not get ugly? Because a lot of these guys are kind of busting chops, but they're not, you know, they're just creating hype, Right. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that'll be? You need, you need a story. You've got to sell something, right? My so, friend, I need to care. Here, here's when I sit down. I'm a big UFC boxing guy. If a friend of mine comes to the UFC or boxing match with a bunch of us to a sports bar to watch it, they're always like, "All right, tell me the background story," because they want to care. I tell me, and then I have a, I, I have a story to root for, whatever. And if you're like, "Oh, this is a good one," listen. So this guy's name is, and then you get into his story. And but the other guy 
And then you get into his story. And then you're like, now there's some cross stories because you said betraying partners. And now they don't like each other. Oh, now you give it. Now it's like, oh, wow. As opposed to you turn it on, there's two guys boxing, and you're like, cool. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So when some people um, in the comments are like, I don't know about this back and forth talking, hyping. And I'm like, as long as it stays not personal and doesn't cross the line, it's yeah. not a bad thing to just make people, if they're having fun and just make people care and just make yeah. people get interested and pick a pick a side or whatever, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's no, no, no. Yeah, no, no, sport's boring without a backstory, right? It's, you know, you you want to know what you're rooting for. And it's, and it's also boring when there's no competition. And I've been to plenty of championships yeah. where there's been no. There's just a, there's an outright winner. The next person down is 50 kilos behind, then become second, and then another 50 kilos behind the third. And it wasn't so long ago there was quite a few European World Championships who were kind of like that as well. Yeah. Pretty tedious to watch because there wasn't the depth that there is now. And it is more exciting, but you're right. If you don't know who you're looking at and what their story is, where they've come from, have they just been through a world equipped of Bond? Then, uh, yeah, you need something. Yeah, you could be like Tony heading up and down 2019 and he's here for redemption and blah blah blah. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody's yeah, yeah. got a story. Um, listen, before we're at like uh, 90 minutes right now, dude, I appreciate your time. I'm glad you came on. I knew it was going to be a good podcast, man, because you're a veteran, you've been around the block, you've got tons of experience behind you, and you're heading into the biggest, possibly the biggest powerlifting competition we've ever had in sport. Um, so I mean, you're right in the mix of it, my man, and it couldn't have yeah, happened. Well, yeah. You are. It couldn't happen to you. You've earned it, you know. Um, but real quick, before we let you go, here's a question we always ask everyone that comes on: When all is said and done, and God knows, man, Tony, we just talked about your resume and how in the thick of it you've been, and we talked about everybody else's impact on the sport and what they're doing and how much the sport has changed. Let's say this is your your 65-year-old man and you're at that sports bar and there's powerlifting on the TV and you're shooting the shit. And, you turn, <laughs> and someone looks over and says, holy shit, that's Tony Cliff. How do you want to be remembered? What do you want yeah. them to say about you? I've, I've, actually, I've actually answered this question a few times because I'm so old and I've been doing it that long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but the, the, the honest answer is I want to be the guy who everyone says he's the guy who never quit. You know, I'm, I'm the guy who turned up and came eighth at the Worlds, ninth at the Worlds, seventh at the Worlds, fifth at the Worlds, fourth three times in a row. Yeah. Um, I, actually, I went to I went to South Africa and I came fourth on every lift and the total on body weight. <laughs> You're like, can I buy a medal? Can I yeah. buy a medal? Come on. Yeah, the, the, the Icelandic coach Greta came up to me after that competition and went, oh man, you've been fucked at this competition. <laughs> <laughs> on body weight too, you're like, come on. Yeah, yeah. wow. So, uh, yeah, so that, um, I, I want to be the guy who never quit. I think I already am. And that's why I won. Uh, why I won in 2019 is because there's been plenty of opportunities up to that point that I could have gone... That's that's enough coming third and fourth and second and and then people being done for drugs and not being backdated so you don't get the world title or having to swap medals because someone's been caught and, and I went through all of that and just carried on. Yeah. Just no, I just I love lifting. Um I love competing. Uh and I'll just keep going. And you only fail when you quit. So Yeah, you know what? I love it. It's true that like just keep showing up. 
It, 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 like when people say like that's a champion is a contender that never quit. Mm-hmm. You have to keep showing up, and that's the hardest part for some people's dealing with setbacks and how you deal with it. You know, just keep showing up, and then eventually, if you're good enough, I mean, it takes now when you show up the the SBD Invitational in Sheffield, I mean, you earned that. You know, you yeah, you were the yeah. dude who it's been decades in the making. Um, how do people follow you if if they want to follow your social media, etc.? I'm at TMC Power on Instagram. Okay. Um, you find me on there. It links into like an old Facebook page. Don't worry about that. Just find me on Instagram, TMC Power. And I have a few people who message me and they send me yeah. questions and they're really surprised when I reply. And we're always <laughs> a surprise. If you want to talk about trading, I love talking about trading. Yeah, yeah. I'll reply to anybody. Well, there you go. You've got a world champion at your disposal, people. Is there anybody you want to thank before we let you go as well? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to thank my wife, Eleanor, for putting up with me, and uh, my kids for putting up with all the training and me not being around. I'd like to thank A7 for their sponsorship for the last year. They've been fantastic. And, uh, I, yeah, I'd like to thank you guys for having me on and, uh, you know, welcoming me with open arms. Yeah. And then join my wall. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Beautiful. Listen, thank you for coming on. I want to thank you, man. Uh, I mean, there's a bit of a time zone difference. We're taking up your time. You know what? When we're booking this, I don't know if you're aware, in it's the Super Bowl. Um, in America, North America, it's massive. I know Europe, I don't know if you guys... You don't know about this then. It's a, it's England v. France in the Six Nations, and the kickoff was at 3 p.m., so I've missed the game for Dude, this. Dude, oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought I was doing you a solid. This is the irony. I thought, let me book a European on that day because of the Super Bowl, and then I did that to you. Sorry, dude. Listen, I appreciate. Wow, we all sacrifice. I'll avoid social media for the next 20 minutes. I'm going to go and turn the game on. There you you go. You did it for the love of the sport. Thank you, Tony. Absolutely. Thank you, Tony. Listen, I'll I'll see you when I see you. We're going to keep in touch, my friend. Cheers, buddy. See ya. Good luck. See ya. Bye-bye. Yeah, it is, uh, it, it is Super Bowl day, and frick, I didn't realize. Oh, man, that, the irony of that. <laughs> the, I, I was telling myself, because I wanted, obviously, I've been uh, looking to book Tony for a long time. Um, but, you know, I was just thinking, all right, for today, anyway, Super Bowl weekend, it's probably going to be super tough. You sure as hell aren't going to get any Americans yeah. in, in for Canada. They it, don't care about it back there. <laughs> no, not Europe. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I totally freaking dropped the I ball. I care about real, well, real football. Oh, wow, look at this guy. Um, he, I remember talking to somebody at work earlier this week and being like, you know, in terms of uh, like the Super Bowl, it is like a cultural event for us. Oh, 100%. It's we, its own holiday. It is. It's like Thanksgiving. You have like specific food. You, you have, have your nachos and dip, your chili, chili your, like, your is, pizza. Like, like a, you know, you got your Super Bowl. Food. It is a cultural thing. <laughs> and, um, and you show up. This is where you know it's a cultural thing for North Americans. You show up on that day with, like, I'm not a big football guy. I'm going to show up on my buddies because that's what you do. Yeah. Like, like, half the people there don't care about football. Uh, I saw a funny meme on social media when you show up to a Super Bowl party and someone starts talking about football and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> are we supposed to talk about football? Yeah, I thought it's I was here for the food. <laughs> you like, football. But it's, um, it is, like, that's when it's part of, like, if you can ever get your sport to be actually become like a part of culture, you you're winning. Oh, you're, yeah. the, the the ratings you're gonna have, like the the ratings the Super Bowl does get, and in terms of how much money people pay for the advertisement in the Super Bowl, 
Because oh man, those ads are stupid. It's, it's they like it's for, some of the ads are some of the ads. Some of the ads is part of the show, are, like because like yes. the Americans they want to make entertain ads, so like they have a, awards for Super Bowl ads too. Do they really? Yeah, man. <laughs> well, look at the Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, it, it's like man, I don't even know who's doing it this year. I don't either. I <laughs> See, but but whatever. The point is, like, it's um, I don't know how you get from A to B. How you're like, all right, when they first started, I remember the Simpsons. They did a, a, one of the episodes, a throwback, and it showed um, Homer's dad. You don't remember the name? Oh, man. Anyways, he's watching Super yeah. Bowl one, and he goes, hang on, I'm watching the Super Bowl. If I don't support this thing, it might not last. And, um, Can we just call him Grandpa in the show? Like, I think they just call him Grandpa. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, too. But, uh, but anyways, how you start from in a sport, oh, yeah, we have our, our version of the championship. Yeah. And how it starts with that and ends up somehow, you have become so ingrained in North American culture that your halftime show has become something that people who don't care about football, people's middle-aged mothers are going to tune in to watch because Beyonce is going to Exactly. Yeah. And the commercials, which normally commercials come, let's flip past it. People watch the commercials because some of these commercials are like... Some are funny. High budget yeah. the whole night. Um, and like the, the actual Super Bowl itself, there's certain foods we eat and like we associate like chili and beer with, with football. And so, and people show up whether you're a football guy or not, football girl or not, you show up and you have that football Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. Exactly. Yeah. It's weird how somehow you've like no other sport has been able to quite be able to make it where like we, you almost can't fail. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be in the Super Bowl? Like, well, if this team shows up and that team shows up, the ratings will be this. For them, it's like, doesn't really fucking matter. No, because everyone's going to watch. watch it. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know how you do that. I don't know if they did it like somehow planning or just ended up being like that. But um, it kind of throws back. I'm not saying SPD Invitational is going to be that, but it is fun to watch things grow, um, starting from day one, year one, mm-hmm. and then in ten years, what could it be? I'm not saying we're going to have SPD Sundays. But basically, we're but basically, that's right. But um, if it ends up like on TV, like Giants Live and World Strongest Man, and if it ends up with like some really big money behind it, and you know we have Hathor Bjornsons, which are like get your nachos and dip. That's <laughs> it, man. Get your nachos and dip. People are watching. Who knows, man? It is what it is. But um, yeah, it was a good podcast. I'm glad we finally got Tony on, and excited to see how uh, how he does at the SPD World Championships or sorry, Invitational. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, you parting shots, sir. I think I think we covered it. I think we covered it. Uh, from six pack lapidat. Cafe fitness. Peace.